Please turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. As I mentioned this morning, this is a message I gave several weeks ago on a Wednesday night here at church. But what we're covering today is, you'd think this would, let me put it this way, if you were to go back 50 years, you wouldn't even be talking about such things as this. But I think today, even though we say how busy we are, people have too much time on their hands, and so they they sit and they dream up all kinds of weird ideas and uh, that give birth to false doctrines. And then, of course, they hop on the internet and spread them everywhere. And so you come up with all kinds of weird ideas that are not biblical. Well, we're going to, Lord willing, bring things home today. And the title is a question. How much of the Bible is for us today? This book that we have, how much of this is for us today? Now, if you're infatuated with some of the contemporary preachers that are got the megachurches and all that today, you might think, as they are teaching and encouraging people to do, they're saying things like, well, you know what? One of the great stumbling blocks for people today when it comes to putting their faith in Christ the Savior is the Old Testament because of the way God was and some of the things he did in the Old Testament. And so they're literally saying what we need to do is we need to unhitch the Old Testament from our theology today and only focus on Jesus and and after that. So unhitch the Old Testament, put it behind one preacher in particular I can think of who encourages lots of people to do that. He's got a worldwide ministry. He also doesn't believe that Genesis is literal. And there's all kinds of things. Now, there used to be a name for that. It was called liberalism. It was called theological liberalism. But we don't use that term much anymore. But nevertheless, it is alive and bad. Notice I didn't say alive and well. It's alive and bad. How much of the Bible is for us today? This is becoming more and more of a question that is being asked today in various circles and in various ways. Now, listen, folks. A misunderstanding of this issue gives birth to all kinds of false doctrine. There's something in the pride of man that wants to come up with some novel approach to understanding the Bible. And it manifests itself, although they may not say it, but it comes out in their actions with this mentality. I know something you don't know. I know something you don't know. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this in verse 14. Paul is writing to Timothy, the young pastor, and he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 15 is a very important verse. Of course, all the verses of the Bible are important. But in light of where we're going today with this and the understanding we are going to receive, I want you to notice in verse 15, and that from a child thou has known the holy scriptures. Now, here's our first point today, and we'll build on this. All scripture is scripture. All right? The entire Bible is the Word of God. From Genesis through Revelation, it is all the Word of God. This includes Genesis. This includes Daniel. This includes Jonah, the three most attacked books in the Bible today. 
people saying you can't believe them, they're allegorical, you know, they're stories, they're not really true, they're not to be taken literally, or, you know, things like, well, Daniel, what was written there was written after Daniel, it wasn't written by Daniel, and this is all this theological liberalism that creeps in. No, all scripture is scripture. I want you to notice this. Paul was writing this to Timothy. Here's the key. The scriptures Timothy learned growing up from his grandmother and his mother were the Old Testament scriptures. Remember that. It's very important. The New Testament wasn't written when Timothy was growing up. It hadn't come into being yet. And we know from 2 Timothy 1.5 where it says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. And so back here to chapter 3, it says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And it lists a bunch of things for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I want you to notice here, all scripture is scripture, but number two, according to verse 16, now watch this, all scripture is, what's the word? Profitable. All scripture is profitable. Would you say it with me? All scripture is profitable. Now, how much of that? Well, all scripture. You know, all is kind of an interesting word. Doesn't matter what language it is. I say, well, I wonder what that is in the Greek. It means 100% of all that is, just like it does in English. All scripture, all the word of God, and it's all profitable. Now, that in itself should give the right perspective and answer the question, how much of the Bible is for us today? Christian, listen, if you're not reading your Old Testament, you're not getting what God wants you to have. I'm not saying just the Old Testament, I'm talking about the whole Bible. It's all scripture, it's all profitable, and this is incredibly important to understand. Now let me give you some points under that. The first is this, The Old Testament lays the foundation for the New Testament. Now, you need to understand that. You cannot properly understand the New Testament unless you know something about the Old Testament. Let me put it another way, because this is usually the way it goes with people. They get exposed to the New Testament. They understand the gospel. They put their faith in Christ the Savior. But they read a lot of stuff in the New Testament that doesn't make any sense to them. And the reason it doesn't make sense to them is because they don't know anything about the Old Testament. God wants us to understand the Old Testament lays the foundation for the New Testament. Did you know that there are 283 direct quotes in the New Testament that come from the Old Testament? 283 direct quotes, Old Testament scriptures in the New Testament. So, If you don't know the Old Testament, how are you going to understand the new? What about Genesis? I'm giving examples here. What about Genesis, particularly chapters 1 through 11? Do you understand that Genesis 1 through 11 lays the foundation of every other thing in the Bible? 
It is the foundation. How can you say to people, detach the Old Testament from the new and that will make it easier for people to believe? You've already discredited the vast majority of the Bible when you do that. Jesus constantly quoted and referred to the Old Testament as authoritative and as the word of God. We don't have time to do this, but read Luke 24 sometime. When Jesus had come back from the dead and he's on the road to Emmaus with some disciples and they're discussing things back and forth and then he uh, kindly, he kindly starts giving them an entire education on Old Testament survey, talking about all the things and, t- and putting his, his approval on all that we have in the Old Testament. Read it sometime for yourself. So the Old Testament lays the foundation for the New Testament, but also the Old Testament contains practical truths for life. Let me say something here. I am a dispensationalist. Our church is, is, we believe in dispensations, okay? Some people differ on the number. I, I believe there's seven, but that's not the issue this morning, okay? Dispensations, they're ways of understanding that God over time has dealt with man according to certain principles at certain times. The word dispensation means a, a stewardship or a, an economy, Okay, it was a way that God dealt with people at a certain amount of time. But that doesn't discredit things or say, well, there's nothing we can get from the Old Testament now that we're under the dispensation of grace. Therefore, everything in the Old Testament is of no value anymore. Do you know there are people who teach that? There are people teaching that today. What do you do with Genesis 1 through 11? Again, the Old Testament contains practical truths for life. What about the book of Psalms? You know, it's very interesting. People who, who are hyper-dispensationalists, who, who divorce themselves from, from the Old Testament, matter of fact, the hyper-dispensationalists, they'll even say things like, you know, the Gospels. There's nothing in the Gospels for us today. It's only Paul's writing that we should be reading. There are people who actually believe that, by the way. We call them alter-dispensationalists. I wonder, though, how many of those people, when they are going through some real struggles and hardships in life, do they ever go to the book of Psalms to find comfort? Don't go there. It's not for today. Oh, no. I don't know about you. When I'm going through trouble and trial, that's where I live is in the book of Psalms. It is for us today. I hope you understand it. You might say, Pastor, are there really people who believe what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, there are people who don't think the Old Testament is for today. Yet, do we go to the book of Psalms? Yes. It's a place of incredible comfort and strength for the believer. Yes, even for today. What about the book of Proverbs? Well, no, that was, uh, you know, Psalms and Proverbs, that was written under the law. We're not under the law today, they'll say. I know that. But those books are not written for the purpose of teaching you the law God has put him in the Bible for a reason. Proverbs, okay, the book of Proverbs is the book of wisdom. It gives us wisdom principles that transcend all dispensations. Yes, the book of Proverbs is for us today. Maybe we've got the problems we do is because people figure it's not for us today, therefore they're not gleaning the wisdom that we get from the book of Proverbs. Now back to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. 
Another common question that is often asked, and this is one that comes up a lot, folks, is this. How were people saved in the Old Testament? How were people saved in the Old Testament? I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that the people in the Old Testament were saved by keeping the law, by keeping the commandments. Listen, that is 100% false. 100% false. No one ever in history was saved by keeping the commandments. Did you know that? No one has ever been saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. How do I know that? Because no one has ever kept the Ten Commandments. And by the way, that's what the Bible says about the commandments. I want you to see some things, which leads us, by the way, to the third point, and it's this. All Scripture agrees on the way of salvation. Now, this is where things start getting controversial in some people's minds, but it shouldn't be because if we read the Bible, believe what it says, it's actually very clear. 2 Timothy 3, we're there, right? In verse 15, it says, and that from a child, watch this. Remember, what scripture did Timothy learn? Old Testament. Did he learn the New Testament? No. Not until it was written, but that's not what Paul's referring to here when it's talking about him growing up under the ministry of his grandmother and mother. He only learned the Old Testament, and it says in verse 15, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. What do the Old Testament scriptures say when it comes to the area of salvation? That faith is in Christ Jesus. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, not by the works of the law. People were saved in the Old Testament the same way we are saved today. It is 100% consistent. Now, did they have all the same information that came later? No. They did not, but they were saved the same way, by grace through faith. You've heard me say it many times. What did they do? They looked forward. The Old Testament very clearly talks about a Messiah was going to come, make a payment for sin, die, bury, and rise from the dead. Did you know that? It's in the Old Testament. Read Isaiah 53 sometime. It's all there. And they were told that Messiah was going to come, make a payment for sin, and all those Old Testament sacrifices pointed to what Jesus was going to do one day. They did not know him as Jesus because he had not become a man yet. He hadn't taken on flesh yet, but he was coming. And so they look forward to the day to when the payment for sin would be made. We know it was made on the cross of Calvary. We look back today and say, it was done. It was done. They look forward to it being done. We look back that it was done. And how are you saved? You're saved the same way today. Do you remember Jesus in John chapter 3 talking to Nicodemus, who believed in law keeping? Jesus said, no, Nick. By the way, that was before the church age. The church didn't come till Acts 2. No, Nick, you're not saved that way. You have to be born again. And then Jesus said, just like as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, that's a quote from Numbers. Numbers is an Old Testament book. 
Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. All they had to do to be delivered from the bite of the serpent was to look and live. There's a hymn called Look and Live in our hymnal. Look and live. No works, no promises, no reformation, no good deeds, no baptism, nothing. Look and live. That's faith. Saved the same way at all times. We look back on him having made a payment for our sin. Isaiah 53. Read it sometime. I know we read it close to Good Friday or we studied that passage here in church. Now, I want you to notice that again in verse 15. Notice that the Old Testament has the gospel. And with that in mind, I want you to now turn with me to Romans chapter 4. We're going to be going back and forth between Romans and Galatians. Romans chapter 4 and verse 1. It says this, Romans 4 verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? Abraham, Old Testament or New Testament? Old Testament. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. This is a quote from Genesis 15, 6, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Did you know that Abraham believed God? It was counted unto him for righteousness. Listen carefully. This was according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 17. This was 430 years before the commandments were ever given to Moses. 430 years. No one's ever been saved by keeping the commandments because no one can keep the commandments. Verse 4, now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. If you're here today and you think you can earn your way to heaven, God says, okay, you have a debt to pay. The wages of sin is death. You are going to have to die and pay for your sin. You might say, well, I I think I can keep the commandments. You have to keep them perfectly 100% from the day you're born to the day you die. And by the way, there's not just 10, there's over 600 of them in the Old Testament law. You still think you can do it? You can't. You can't. That's why Jesus came. See, the law shows us we're failures, we're sinners in need of a Savior. Romans 4, 4, now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. But instead of doing it that way, instead of that, but to him that worketh not, you don't try to work for it, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. That's Jesus. Look what it says. His faith is counted for righteousness. And who is the example Paul is giving in the New Testament of this truth. Abraham in the Old Testament. How much of the Bible is for us today? All of it. The message has not changed. Now hold your place here and look at Galatians chapter 3. And it says in verse 6, Galatians 3 and verse 6, it says, even as Abraham believed God, see what you have in Galatians, Galatians is like a mini Romans is what it is. It's like, okay, you don't have time to read through Romans, read through Galatians. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Again, that's a quote of Genesis 15, 6. 
Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, look at this, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all the nations be blessed. Now we know that was through Isaac. But this truth was taught. This truth was understood, verse 9. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Jump down to verse 21. Is the law, the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, the commandments, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But... The scriptures hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of or in Jesus Christ might be given to them that do what? Believe. Believe. He's teaching us about Abraham and yet here we see it in the New Testament and it's the same truth he's talking about that was in the Old Testament that we see in the New Testament. People are saved the same way. Verse 26, for ye, just to simplify it and to clarify and to put it in a simple phrase, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Friend, if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ to get you to heaven, there is no other way you can go except through what he did on the cross. It's why he came was to die in our place to pay for our sin and rise from the grave, and he offers us as a gift everlasting life, and it's free. So, what do we see? Our point is this. Notice that the Old Testament has the gospel. We have just covered that. But also, going back now to Romans chapter 4, turn back there with me. Romans chapter 4, David even, who lived under the Old Testament law, made it clear. And isn't it interesting? Here is Paul in the book of Romans, quoting David in the book of Psalms, and he's using what David said as confirmation that you're saved by grace through faith apart from works. And it says in Romans 4, 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, no works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Look up here. Let me explain it. This hand representing you and me and my wallet representing our sin. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. God loves us. He hates our sin, but our sin keeps us from him. You can't go to heaven with even one sin. Heaven is a perfect place. You have to be sinlessly perfect to get there. That's why as sinners, if you say, okay, I'm going to do good works, I'm going to keep the law, I'm going to do all these things, they may all be good things, but none of those things will take away the sin. We need a death payment. We need a substitutionary payment. By the way, first mention in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, Genesis 3, verse 15, the promised seed who would come would crush Satan. And that's exactly what Jesus did. We need a payment for sin. Good works won't pay for sin. God says if we die with our sin, we will spend eternity suffering in hell. We're choosing, if we die without Jesus Christ the Savior, we're choosing to pay for our own sin. 
If you do that, you'll be lost forever in hell. The wages of sin is death. God says, I don't want you to go there. Now, again, good works won't take it away. The Bible says, right up here, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves. That is why Jesus came. God in the flesh, the sinless son of God came. And when he died on the cross, watch this, all the sin you've ever done or will do, because when he died, you weren't even born yet. All your sins were future. When Jesus died on the cross, he took your sin upon himself and he died as your substitute. He paid for your sins so you don't have to. He was buried and he rose from the grave. And he says this, that if you will believe or put your faith in him that he did that for you, the moment you do, you are forgiven. And God puts to your account, see, he puts to your account his righteousness. You go to heaven on what Christ has done for you. Impute means to put to your account. Notice what it says. It says, God imputeth righteousness without works. Verse 8, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Did you know that once you trust Christ the Savior? See, all your sin then is taken care of. You've accepted the payment Jesus made on your behalf. His payment's put to your account, and he puts his righteousness. Or your sin is put to his account, his righteousness is put to your account. He gives you eternal life. And he says, I will not impute sin. Why? Because it was taken care of. It was paid for. It was a done deal. You accepted the payment he made for you. Now, this truth is the heart and soul of the message of the Bible. And it's from cover to cover. Let me show you another one here. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. On this issue of the gospel and how people were saved, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 Paul says, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he rose again according to the scriptures. Now this was written somewhere around AD 60, AD 65. What scriptures do you think Paul was referring to? Primarily the Old Testament scriptures. Because the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are in the Old Testament. Do we understand that? So the gospel is consistent. The plan of salvation is consistent. No, we understand. Again, we know the details were not there for them in the Old Testament to understand. They didn't know names. They didn't know where specifically, you know, the details and all of that. You know, they knew a lot more than what we give them credit for. But salvation's always been the same, which leads us to our next point, and is this. And here's where, by the way, here's where a lot of the controversies are today. All Scripture agrees about the Christian life. All Scripture agrees about the Christian life. In other words, the life of the believer. God still wants us to walk by faith in obedience to His Word. That is not a New Testament, new revelation. It has always been that way. Now, I know there are some people who are going to say, I'm heretical about that. I'm fine with that, folks. You just haven't been reading your Bible. May I be so bold as to say that? You're not reading your Bible. God still wants us to walk by faith in obedience to his word. No, 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 no. That's a New Testament thing. That's not what they did in the Old Testament. Yes, they did. 
When's the last time you read Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews 11, very interesting chapter. I'm glad the Lord put it there because Hebrews 11 covers a lot of different dispensations. And all those people over all that time, it says by faith they did this. By faith they did that. By faith they did this. All the way down to Paul's day. And yes, today, by faith. What does that mean? That we believe God, we trust in him, and then we set out and obey his word. He provides for us the strength. And by the way, did he not provide the strength for the Old Testament saints to do their work? When's the last time you looked at Joshua and Moses, these great men of God, Noah, all of these men, by the way, are referred to in the New Testament as great men of faith. There's nothing different in that. I'll get to some of the details that have changed in a minute, but the overall principle is the same. God still wants us to walk by faith in obedience to his word. Hebrews 11 covers many dispensations. Each time it says, by faith they obeyed. See, folks, here's the truth, okay? The key is to keep things in context and then apply it properly. But remember, salvation has always been by grace through faith plus nothing, and the Christian life has always been by faith in the Lord, and then we obey his word. It isn't just as some are teaching today, here's one of the, uh, the errors. Well, you just yield yourself to God and then God puts you on like a hand puppet and you do what he wants because you're yielded to God. Oh, don't obey God's word, just yield. When's the last time you read Romans 6? To whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey. Not just yield yourselves. The key is to keep it in context. Now, there is much for us to learn in the Old Testament by principle, and that is the key. No, we don't observe the law today, but there is much to learn in the Old Testament in principle or by example. Did you know the Old Testament was written for our admonition? How dare any preacher come along and say, we need to unhitch the Old Testament from the new, forget about the Old Testament because it's a stumbling block to people. That's heresy. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I won't read the, the entire verse, verses that I'm going to cover. I'll just read a certain part of them just because of time. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is writing to a church of believers under the dispensation of grace, which is where we live today, okay? I wish I could go into more detail in defining that because maybe some of you have never heard that. A lot of you have, but maybe there's some who haven't. But basically, these people are in our same dispensation as where we're at. It's the church age. He's writing to a church of believers here. And he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 5, Paul writes, but with many of them, talking about the Jewish people who came out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses, but with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse six, now these things were our examples. Do you see it? We have the record of these things in the Bible and we need to know about these things because there are examples. They teach us by example, the truth of God. This is important. The Old Testament 
is important. Now, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Verse 7, neither be ye idolaters. Verse 8, neither let us commit fornication. Verse 9, neither let us tempt Christ. Verse 10, neither murmur ye. Now, why are these specific things brought up? Because the, the Corinthian church was guilty of these very things. And Paul is saying, hey, haven't you read the Old Testament, guys? Listen, God is judging his people for these same things. He did it then and he'll do it now. I'm getting ahead of myself, but verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples or examples, and they are written for our admonition. Admonition is a warning. This is written to those in the dispensation of grace in the church age. We have the record of those things in the Old Testament preserved for us so that we today can learn what happens if we go down those paths. Yet people are saying today, well, you know what? No, God is 100% pleased with me just the way I am. And I don't need to do anything, or I don't need to be away, or I don't have to strive or do this or do that. God is happy with me just the way I am. You know, friends, listen, he accepts you in Christ. There's no doubt about that. But the Bible talks about in the New Testament, in the dispensation of grace, that we are supposed to be living holy lives, and we are supposed to be living lives that are well-pleasing to him. And we are accountable Romans 15, 4 says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Do we get it? Now, let's move on. Some things change and some things do not change. What things change? Now, listen carefully. The outworking of a dispensation may change, and with that, some details. What do I mean by that? I'll give you an example. Under the Mosaic law that was given to the Jewish people, through Moses, that's why Mosaic, Moses, okay. Under the Mosaic law, there was the sacrifice of animals. You read Leviticus, Numbers, and so forth. There was a sacrifice of animals. Do we do that today? No, we don't do that in our churches. Now, there may be some strange churches somewhere who try to carry these things over, but that isn't for today. That's not New Testament worship. Jesus did away with that and fulfilled all the sacrifices by his once and for all sacrifice on the cross. See, folks, here's the thing. All the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to the ultimate sacrifice that was coming, and that was Jesus on the cross. But now that he has sacrificed and made the once for all payment for our sin, died, buried, rose from the grave, there's no more sacrifice. As a matter of fact, that's what the book of Hebrews says. Jesus did away with it. A formal priesthood. Now, I know there are some religions today, they call themselves Christian religions, that have priests. It's not biblical. Did you know that according to the Bible, according to in our dispensation today, God's word says that we're all priests. Did you know that? We're all priests. That's in 1 Peter. There is no priesthood in the sense of a set of rulers over people, such as, you know, popes and cardinals. And listen, I can say it. I was raised a Catholic. I've got license. Okay. I understand these things. I understand. Don't get offended by it. 
So there are things that do change. We don't have a formal priest. Uh, dietary laws. Now, I know there are people today who are trying to bring Old Testament dietary laws into the church and all that, but yet the, Paul said, look, no, it, nothing is to be refused. You should just thank the Lord for it and pray. And that's what he did, and so you can eat anything. So bring on the barbecued ribs, pork ribs. Okay, bring them on. Beef ribs too. All ribs are welcome here. You're ribbing me. No, no, I'm not ribbing. But we don't follow the Old Testament dietary laws. Now, I'm not saying some of those things in there may not be better for our health and others and, and all that. Of course, you know, they didn't have things like pizza and things like that back then. How about the day we worship? The church historically does not worship on Saturday, but Saturday is the Sabbath. Did you know that? Not Sunday. Sunday's not the Sabbath. Saturday's the Sabbath. There's a cult that worships on Saturday, which is the Seventh-day Adventist, but that's not biblical. The truth of it is, under grace, you can worship every day. Isn't that great? How about the indwelling spirit? Did you know in the Old Testament, this is one of those differences? Yes, it's a difference, but it doesn't change the fact that we walk by faith and obey his word. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people to do certain works, and he would empower them and strengthen them. And then there were times when he would leave the individual. That's why David said when he was confessing his sin to the Lord, he wanted to be used by the Lord. And he said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He's under the law, under grace. The Holy Spirit is a permanent possession. The moment you trust Christ, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit and he's in you and he lives in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, in the Old Testament, they had the temple, right? They had the tabernacle, then they had the temple. You know what the temple is today? Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't change the fact that salvation's by grace through faith apart from works. And it doesn't change the fact that we are to trust in the Lord and obey his word. So some things change, but the general principles of the Christian life do not. What are some things that do not change? Well, listen, sin is still sin. Fornication is still fornication. Adultery is still adultery. Right is still right. Wrong is still wrong. We reap what we sow. Men and women are still men and women. I don't care what you say. Michelle Obama spelling woman, W-O-M-X-N. Go back to elementary school. Come on. That's not how you spell woman. Folks, we're getting ridiculous. But God is not budging and he's not sweating either, by the way. Oh, what are they going to do? They're not listening to me now. What are we going to do? He's going to send judgment on the planet before long, okay? The wages of sin is still death, by the way. That doesn't change. By the way, I am hearing more and more the false claim that under grace, the Lord does not chasten his children. That is a big teaching that's going on today, false teaching. God doesn't chasten children today under the dispensation of grace. You are not reading your Bible honestly, What about Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira? All they did was give a false impression. By the way, the dispensation of grace had just started. They're in our dispensation. And what did God do? They gave a false impression. Struck dead. Carry them out. That happened to Ananias. His wife didn't know. She then did the same thing. Carry her out. And then it says, and great fear came upon the church. Yeah. What if he started doing that here? Well, he can't do that. We're under grace. Yes, he can do that. 
I think the Lord understands, you know what? With all the deceit going on today in the body of Christ, if he started doing that on a major level, wouldn't be a lot of people left. He could do it though. What about Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31? It's written to Christians. It says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Those who trodden underfoot the son of man and insult the spirit of grace. And God says, I'll chasten you. You better be careful. Hebrews 12, verses 6 through 11. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom, is, whom the father receives. Okay? He chastens every child of God. Chastening's not for today. You're not being honest with Scripture. It is for today. 1 Corinthians 11. The Corinthians were coming to the Lord's Supper. Some of them were coming drunk. These were believers, 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians written to the saints, the church at Corinth. And it says in verse 29, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily or in an unworthy manner, they were being disrespectful. He says, if you come to the Lord's table drunk or disrespectful, look what it says, drinketh, eateth and drinketh damnation or judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. There are people that the Lord actually took their lives, brought them home to heaven before their time because they were so rebellious and they would not change. This is in our dispensation, folks. How could anybody read their Bible and come up with the weird theology that's going on today that God doesn't chasten his children? Malachi 3.6, and wrapping things up today, it says this, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consume. Hebrews 13.8, that's Old Testament. I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ, the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Why? He's the Alpha and Omega, that's why. The beginning and the ending. Now on a positive note, some other things that don't change are that God is our strength. Aren't you glad? You can read the Old Testament and say, you know what? If the Lord was strong for them, he promises he's the same. He will not change. He'll be strong for me. Boy, I love that. He's our helper. He's our provider. He's our defender. And we can gain strength and encouragement reading the Old Testament and the New Testament and saying, you know what? God is faithful to his people and he's no respecter of persons. So he'll be faithful to me. The same one who opened the Red Sea for Moses, the same one will be strong on my behalf. Wow, that's amazing. The same one who helped lead the children of Israel through the wilderness and perform miracles still leads us through the wildernesses that we face and he can still perform miracles today. How much of the Bible is for us today? All of it but it needs to be understood in context. One last verse and we'll close. John chapter three, please turn there with me. I mentioned it earlier, but let's just read it together. John chapter three and verse 14. It says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. Look what it says. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior? 
I hope you have. If you haven't, would you do that today? Hell is real. Heaven is real. The only way you escape there is to put your faith in Christ, and he promises to give you that up there. He'll give you eternal life if you'll trust in Christ. Let's all bow in prayer, shall we? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.